0: ESPN Sports Radio 1,392.5. Hmm.
1: Enough of something completely different. We're going to bring, bring it all together. Because it's the bottom line. Bottom line. Bottom line.
2: Bottom line. ESPN Radio 1,392.5. It's the bottom line with Brad Taylor. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Good morning. Thank you for joining us on this beautiful Sunday, wherever you may be. Thank you for taking time out of your day to join us. 859-381-1313 is the number to call to join in on the conversation. Of course, you can email the show anytime, bottomlinelex at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at Bottom Line Lex. On today's show, it's mid-August, and that means one thing. Kids go back to school, yeah, get them back in school. It's hot, but it's also fantasy football draft time, and today we have a real treat. At around 9.30 or so, the host of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour podcast, Eric Balkman, he will join us to talk about fantasy football and how you can become the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Champion by going to kffsc.com. I've played in leagues with Eric before. He's as sharp as it gets, I can assure you of that. So he's going to drop some knowledge that will help you win your league, no matter if you're playing for $15,000 for the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship or if you're just trying to win 10 bucks ahead from all your friends down in your friend's basement. They will. This guy will help you win, I can promise you. He'll join us about halfway through the show today. The Reds blow a golden opportunity yesterday, as only they can, our NFL trends go about 50% yesterday, and your Bengals were the heartbreaker. But, of course, we live to fight another day, the most profitable segment of Lexington Radio, our Mac Daddy Stogie Picks, presented by Jake Cigar Bar. All that and much, much more coming up on this week's Sunday edition of The Bottom Line with Brad Taylor. As always, we thank you for listening. But first, Sage Rosenfels and the nineteen ninety. Atlanta Falcons headline this morning. The Bengals defeated Tom Brady and the defending Super Bowl champion Buccaneers last night by a score of 19 to 14. Of course, Bengals fans marching in unison to go get their Super Bowl tickets now, of course, right? Of course. And of course, we had the over in this one. The total was 33 and a half and the total ended 33. So even in the preseason, the desert is right on the money with these numbers. Isn't it uncanny? When there's money on the line, those guys out in the desert, they kind of know what they're doing a little bit from time to time. But hey, we live to fight another day. But the NFL was officially back yesterday. Ten games. It was all over television. Everywhere you looked, everywhere you looked online, people were talking about these preseason NFL games. Nobody are t- nobody's talking about Major League Baseball, that it's in the regular season right now. In fact, if you remember that Field of Dreams game in Major League Baseball on Thursday night, you remember that? As great as it was, and it had the highest TV ratings for Major League Baseball in 16 years. I guess just trot out, Kevin Costner, and play in a cornfield, you'll get some TV ratings. But even though that was the highest-rated game in baseball for 16 years, The Football Hall of Fame game the previous week between Dallas and Pittsburgh got higher ratings than that Field of Dreams game. And that Field of Dreams game was as corny and contrived for television as you can imagine. And a meaningless preseason game got higher TV ratings than a showcase Major League Baseball game. That should tell you right there how the NFL rules the sports world and the world as a whole pretty much. By the way, I'm pushing next year for a naked gun game next year instead of a Field of Dreams game. Enrico Palazzo outclasses Kevin Costner any day of the week, but I digress. But the Bengals won last night against Tom Brady and the team that won the Super Bowl last season. It's a sign of things to come, right? Oh, they didn't just win the game. They dominated the game. The numbers tell the story. The Bengals outgained Tampa 303 yards to 159. Total domination. But as we all know, history tells us that preseason domination is not a sign of things to come. And not just for the Bengals, but for any player or team in this league that looks like they'll never lose a game and score every touchdown in the league in the preseason. If you're a loyal listener to this show, first of all, we thank you so much for listening. But I often talk about... Moving to Atlanta in 1990. And I do that because it was such a big change. When you go from living in a farm in Madison County all your life to a city like Atlanta, Georgia, you remember things quite well because everything's so different. Everything's so new. And during those times, those good old days aren't as good as we wax them poetically as being. That's for all of us. Nothing's as good today. Excuse me, nothing's as good back then in the olden times of the 80s and 70s and 90s. Nothing was better then than it is today. Unless you count music, college basketball, and professional wrestling. But I digress. But when I moved to Atlanta in the summer of 1990, I didn't even have cable TV. I had the rabbit ears, the wire hangers, the Reynolds wrap to get my TV reception. And I still had trouble picking up local channels. Because Atlanta figured it out, and the local channel sent out weak signals. So you basically had to get cable TV to get a clear picture. But I wasn't dropping that dime. I didn't have the dime. But the one picture I could decently pick up was the station that just happened to show all the Falcons' preseason games in 1990. Oh, what good luck for me. And the 1990 Falcons were a team in the middle of change. They were celebrating their 25th anniversary in the NFL. Sheesh, that's how long ago that was. They had just hired a new coach named Jerry Glanville. You remember him. He was already actually hosting his own weekly show on local TV in Atlanta that was actually one of the funniest and most entertaining things you'd ever see. Never got any publicity. I never missed it. It was great. But when the Falcons took the field in the 1990 preseason, they looked like world beaters. They had a quarterback named Chris Miller that had been starting for a couple of years and was coming into his own. They had drafted a running back in the first round named Steve Broussard. Yeah, you've never heard of him. But he looked like Emmett Smith in that preseason. And they made a trade that offseason for a wide receiver named Andre Risen, who most fans actually remember to this day, but more due to TLC and Left Eye Lopez trying to burn his house down. But that's another story for another day. And of course, don't forget, Deion Sanders was on this team as well, and he wasn't full-time into baseball yet. He would leave baseball in July and join the Falcons football team. But Jerry Glanville brought an enthusiasm to this team they'd never seen before because mainly he'd been pissing people off for years in Houston. Glanville was so good at upsetting people that in 1989, Sam Weich of your Bengals ran up the score on Houston and Glanville, one year by kicking a field goal on the final play of the game to make the score 61-7. to And the only reason he did it was because he hated Jerry Glanville. But Glanville had the Falcons in 1990 rolling in the preseason. I had no life. I had no money. So I just sat in front of that TV with uh, the Reynolds rap on it and watched every single play of the Falcons preseason that year. That's how pathetic my life was at the time. Not much has changed, but I digress. But I couldn't watch any other NFL preseason games, and I wouldn't watch any NFL preseason games in their entirety now. But back then, oh, yeah, I'm watching every play. And that 1990 Falcons preseason team, the most dominant I've ever seen. Not only did they go 4-0, and the games weren't even close no NFL team in that preseason scored more points than the Falcons. And keep in mind, some teams played five preseason games that year. And no team had a bigger point differential in these preseason games than those 1990 Falcons. And I was impressed. I was convinced myself, this team was going to win the Super Bowl. They're going to come out of nowhere. Nobody's talking about this team. And why not? They were killing these teams in the preseason. And I wasn't the only person who saw it either. All the media in Atlanta saw it, too. And, of course, they were just like they are here when Kentucky football shows anything. They jump all over it. I remember I had my first ever fantasy football draft in August of 1990. And all those Falcons players were going way earlier than my little draft list showed. Andre Risen went in the first round. And he wasn't even in the top 100 on my draft list that I would gotten from a magazine earlier that day. That's how powerful... That preseason performance was. But it wasn't going to last in the regular season, right? It was just preseason. Wrong. In the first game of the regular season that year, the Falcons, of course, played Glanville's former team, the Houston Oilers. The schedule makers always seemed to make a a couple of uncomfortable matchups like that back in the day. They don't seem to do that anymore, but eh, I think they don't have to today. Back then, they still felt like they had to. But the Falcons blew the Oilers out that day, week one of the regular season, putting up 47 points on them. So here was a team that went 4-0 in the preseason with the biggest point differential of any team. And then they put up 47 points on the Oilers in week one. This team's winning the Super Bowl. Man, they may never lose. This is the best team I've ever seen. Well, they did lose. And not only did they lose, they started losing big time. And in fact... The next home game they played after that big week one win over the Oilers was a loss to San Francisco where Joe Montana had six touchdown passes and Jerry Rice had five touchdown receptions in what was quite possibly the best fantasy day for a wide receiver in the history of the league. By the way, something never, nobody ever talked about in that game, Jerry Rice scored five touchdowns. None of them were against Deion Sanders. They were all against a guy named Charles Dimre. And he got burned for all five touchdowns in that one. After the game, the local media in Atlanta started referring to him as Toast because he had been burned so so many times. Burned Toast. I wouldn't know anything about that because when I was growing up, my mother never burned the Toast. Toast is so simple to make. Eh, maybe not. Oh, well, I digress. But that leads to one question. If you've got a Hall of Famer like Deion Sanders at cornerback, why isn't he covering Jerry Rice every play? Just say it. But those 1990 Falcons, who looked like the 1972 Dolphins in the preseason, they went 5-11 and that season, including a seven-game losing streak in the middle of the year. And for those of us who watched the Falcons all preseason and the first regular season game, we were shocked to see how awful this team turned out to be. But jumping to conclusions goes for players, too, not just teams. There was a quarterback not long ago, named Sage Rosenfels, who played eight regular NFL seasons, but played in 12 exhibition seasons in his career. In other words, he got cut four times in the preseason without even getting picked to play in the regular season. Talk about enduring some pain and hanging tough. But Rosenfels put up stats in these preseason games like no one we've ever seen. And it never gets talked about. Rosenfels had an eight-year NFL career through a total of of 562 passes for the Dolphins, Texans, and Giants. And in fact, he started 12 games in his career, and he actually had a 6-6 and record in those games, despite a touchdown-to-interception ratio of 30-29. to That would have been good for guys like Joe Namath and Ken Stabler, but not good in the 21st century. But in the preseason, Sage Rosenfels might as well have been Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. In 12 preseasons, Sage Rosenfels threw 549 passes, almost as many as his career regular season attempts. And Rosenfels has a quarterback rating of 93.6. That's very good. Nobody this century has more passing attempts in the preseason or more yards than Sage Rosenfels. Do you know who that is if you walked right by him on the street? Yeah, I wouldn't either then why isn't he starting a quarterback in the NFL? Because the NFL preseason isn't the regular season. Sage Rosenfels was Tom Brady in the preseason, but he's more like Peter Brady in the regular season. And look at some of the other names on this list who have put up huge numbers in preseason games at the quarterback position. The top five, along with Rosenfels, Luke McCown, Billy Volak, Chase Daniel. One of the greatest uh, money-making stories ever. And Bruce Gradkowski. Those are your top five NFL quarterbacks in the preseason since 2000. None of those guys are exactly headed to the Hall of Fame anytime soon. Although Billy Volek had two months in 2004 where he was the most dominant player in fantasy football history at a quarterback, but that's opening a monologue for another day coming up soon. But in an era where the NFL is considering phasing out preseason games and teams are playing fewer starters than ever, exhibition games and preseason games might seem like they matter less and less. So when you see a team dominate in the preseason, like the 1990 Atlanta Falcons, or when you see a player dominate the regular season, like Sage Rosenfels did for 12 years, just remember, take all these results with a grain of salt. Because history tells us, that the preseason isn't the end-all, be-all for what's going to happen once the games happen for real. So although the Bengals nation should be happy that they went on the road last night and defeated the defending Super Bowl champions and some guy named Tom Brady, no one should be running to the betting windows with a fistful of $100 bills investing in this team to win the Super Bowl, because that's just crazy talk. And that's the bottom line. ESPN Radio, 1,392.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor, sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Yesterday in Philadelphia, the Reds lost to Matt Moore. Who? Yes, Matt Moore and the Phillies. 6-1 to one was the score. Matt Moore, who has been awful this season, pitched six innings of no-hit baseball yesterday, adding in eight strikeouts. Remember when managers used to have to deal with fans and media when the backlash, when it came to taking out a starting pitcher who had a no-hitter going, well, they don't do that anymore. Matt Moore had a no-hitter going yesterday. Comes out after six, nobody says a word. That's how times have changed. Anyway, our friend uh, friend of the show and our good friend for a long time said it to us best in a text yesterday. Our friend Jeff Drummond sent us a text and told us to look out for the Reds to lose yesterday because they were facing a crappy left-hander like Matt Moore while the Reds could take out the best in the business like Max Scherzer and Zach Wheeler. Jeff Drummond called that one correctly for once. Uh, we'll give him credit for that, but we'll see how his U.K. football picks go this season. That's another story for another time. He'll join the show very soon, we know. We've been talking about it. We'll see if he still likes to go over on those seven wins. Uh, we disagree. Another story for another show. Jesse Waker was still out for the Reds yesterday. Uh, David Bell says he will return either today or tomorrow. So they don't want us to panic, but maybe there is reason to panic. We don't know. But the Reds only got three hits yesterday, including zero from Joey Votto, Nick Castellanos, and, of course, Eugenio Suarez, who saw the Suarez-o-meter drop to 173 on the season. Yippee. But the good news for the Reds yesterday was that while they were almost being no-hit, the Padres actually were being no-hit by a rookie pitcher, making his first Major League start. Admit it. You haven't heard of Tyler Gilbert before today, have you? You know why? I haven't either. It doesn't, that doesn't signify that the Padres are struggling. Nothing will. just had a guy come up from the minor leagues, one of the worst teams in baseball. Oh, yeah, by the way, I'm throwing a no-hitter against you tonight, boys. Yeah, there you go. So the only thing the Reds really lost yesterday, besides pride and dignity, was a day on the calendar. They still sit at two and a half games behind the Padres for the wild card with 44 games left to play. The Desert still thinks the Reds have a pulse in this too, saying the Reds currently have a 36% chance of making the playoffs this year. Of course, the Desert also says the Padres have a 51% chance, so they're not exactly totally sold on them either. But that brings us to today in a game that can be heard right here on ESPN Radio 1300 and 92.5 at 12.35 today. It's the third and final game of this Titanic Battle three-game series. And the final matchup of the season between the Reds and Phillies in Philadelphia. A couple of pitchers who have underachieved this season. Sonny Gray for the Reds. He's 4-6 with a 4.40 ERA. And Aaron Nola for the Phillies, 7-6, 4.35 ERA. Sonny Gray, has been on the injured list twice this year, and his numbers reflect it. Only two of his nine starts since Memorial Day have been quality starts, and that includes a matchup against Nola and the Phillies on June 1st when he gave up three runs in four and two-thirds innings and a loss. But Gray has been a lot better on the road than at home this year, much like all the rest of the Reds pitchers, except for Luis Castillo. On the road this year, Sonny Gray, 3.08 ERA as opposed to 5.44 at home. And the Reds have been a great play in the desert this season as a road dog. Going 21-19, and that's a 26.1 positive percent return on investment in the desert when the desert thinks that they'll lose. That's very good. So the Reds is a road dog this year, very profitable out in the desert. Aaron Nola goes for the Phillies, a very good pitcher but he's having his worst season in his career right now. This is the guy who finished in the top ten of Cy Young voting twice in the last three years. That ain't happening this year. Nola has seen his ERA jump more than a run this year, but his FIP, his Fielding Independent Pitching Stat, indicates he's having a little bit of bad luck. That's something we look for when you try to handicap games going forward. In that June 1st matchup with Gray and the Reds, Nola allowed three earned runs in five innings, but got the win anyway. And the Phillies are 11-12 when Nola starts this year, while the Phillies are 24-16 and 16 as a home favorite this year, and they are today a home favorite. Both these pitchers have been terrible in the desert this year. Gray's return on investment, minus 15.1%. Nola's return on investment, minus 17.1%. So they're both burning your tickets and killing your bankroll. But the big difference in these two pitchers today the whip, walks and hits per inning, pitched. Gray, 1.38. Nola, 1.14. You may not think that's a big difference, but it's actually huge. Nola has been the better pitcher this season, and that's the biggest reason why they're favored today. These two playoff hopefuls, they've split the first two games of this series, both by a 6-1 to score. The Reds won the opener as a big dog Friday night, while the Phillies won yesterday as a big favorite. Today's line opened with the Phillies minus 135. And the public kind of sees two evenly matched teams with balanced action on both sides. Both teams' respective aces before the year. Not so much now. But the pros look like they're leaning to the Phillies today. And the Phillies, uh, were looking. you probably see the line go up before game time. And a lot of trends favor the Phillies today, too. Non-division home favorites hit 61.3% of the time this year. Home favorites off a win, hit 60% of the time this year. And we could also be looking at another low-scoring game in this one. Yesterday we gave you the right side, we gave you the right total in this one. Total today, nine, but this has already dropped to eight and a half. You've got two good pitchers. The under is 2-0 and in this series. Forecast calling for the wins, blowing straight in from center, just like it did yesterday. Might want to look to take the under here. But the Reds didn't use any of their bullpen back end yesterday. Unless you count Sean Doolittle as, as if he matters to someone these days, which he doesn't. Those three runs he allowed yesterday weren't exactly a confidence builder. Anyway, the Phillies did use their entire back end of their bullpen in a five-run game, including their closer, Ian Kennedy, Narris and Archie Bradley, the former Red. They were all used yesterday. So the wise guys may be on the Phillies today, but the Reds look like they're getting the better of the number. As we always say, we bet numbers and lines. We don't bet teams and people. So although it's not really Mac Daddy Stogie worth, worthy, we wouldn't object to a little pizza money on the Reds and the Under today in Philadelphia, and that's the bottom line. ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor, sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Coming up after the break, you asked for it, you got it. The most profitable segment of Lexington Radio, our Mac Daddy Stogie picks presented by Jake Cigar Bar. That's next right here on ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. Now batting Chipper Jones. What? No. that's an Atlanta inside joke. ESPN Radio, 1,392.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. It's time now, Mr. and Mrs. America, for the most profitable segment in Lexington Radio, our Mac Daddy Stogie Picks, presented by Jake Cigar Bar. How do we celebrate cashing a ticket out in the desert? You already know, with a Mac Daddy Stogie from Jake's Cigar Bar at Brandon Crossing. Check them out online, jakescigarbar.com. And tell our friends Jake and Autumn that the bottom line sent you, and they'll give you the VIP treatment that you deserve. JakeCigarBar.com. All those crazy NFL and uh, Major League Baseball picks we threw out yesterday, like Robin Hood trying to take from the rich and give to the poor, well, we hit 50%, uh, including two of those over- overs coming up a half point short. But, of course, we live to fight another day. We get back to it today. NFL, the favorites, went 6-4 and four, straight up and against the spread yesterday. And the unders did very well yesterday, uh, except for the couple that we picked. Unders hit pretty much everything that went over, that had a line over 35. And we're looking to go over on totals that are 35 and below. Uh, favorites nine and eight straight up, nine and eight against the spread uh, so far this preseason. And the road teams it doesn't even seem to matter to them. They're eight and seven straight up, eight and seven against the spread. We have an NFL preseason game today. I'm not sure why the Colts insist on playing uh, every. Year in the preseason, 1 o'clock on Sundays. Why can't they play on Friday and Saturday night like everybody else? Oh, well, today at 1 o'clock, Colts and Panthers from Indy. And uh, this game fits both our preseason trends that we love to play that have cashed on a regular basis over the last 16 years. Underdogs of three points or less in the preseason. They cover 55% of the time since 2005. And the Panthers sitting at plus three in this one. By the way, their quarterbacks today for Carolina, Sam Darnold, P.J. Walker, Will Greer. That's all right. Indianapolis is playing Jacob Eason, Sam Ellinger, and Brett Hundley. By the way, I heard the fanboys across town talking about Sam Ellinger on the radio this week, and they referred to him as Dellinger. I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. Seriously, they did. That guy started four years in Texas, and he was drafted this year. Are you not paying attention? Do your homework and do your prep. Sure, you're bigger than my little weekend show, but intelligent listeners can discern when hosts aren't uh, keeping up with the things they should be. But, hey, you've got a whole big uh, production team, and I just fight my battles alone. That's okay. I digress. Can't knock a man's hustle when he's pulling in the numbers. But we also look to go over in this one today, Panthers and Colts. Uh, You see a total of 34. A lot of games went under this uh, yesterday, especially. But this trend still hits 57% of the time over the last 16 years by going over a total that is 35 or less. And this one... Is so, we'll go Panthers and over 34. Panthers plus three in this one today. Uh, take those bad boys to the desert and smoke them. Major League Baseball favorites went nine and seven yesterday. Thank goodness some underdogs are finally hitting, uh, getting some wins in this. They were really bad for about 10 days the last couple weeks. Biggest upset, of course, the Diamondbacks and uh, Tyler Gilbert's no hitter. They were plus 195 last night. That leads us to our pick today, uh, the Mariners. And the Blue Jays, the Mariners, have taken the first two games of this series, winning the opener as a dog, winning last night as a dog. Today's finale, uh, the Jays, Steven Matz, 9-7, and 4.28. Uh, the Mariners, Logan Gilbert, 5-3, and 4.05. Line in this one, Toronto opened the favorite. Public says the Jays are a good team, but now you get into the old gambler's fallacy. Oh, this is a good team. They won't lose three in a row to this Mariners team. Uh-huh. We think they will. Seattle has value today as a contrarian dog with a little reverse line movement. And that's a high total of nine. So let's look to take Seattle to finish off this series in a sweep against Toronto. We'll take Seattle as an underdog today uh, against uh, Toronto up in the great northwest. So there you have it. Panthers three and over the total of 34 in the NFL. And let's take Seattle to shock the world to pull off the sweep against the Blue Jays. Those are your Mac Daddy Stogies. You can take those bad boys to the desert And smoke them. Coming up next here on ESPN Radio, our good friend Eric Balkman of the high-stakes fantasy football hour podcast. He is a sharp guy when it comes to fantasy football, and you'll hear why coming up right after the break, right here, on ESPN Radio 1300 and 92.5. ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. Apparently Mariano Rivera is coming into the game right now. ESPN Radio, bottom line with Brad Taylor. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. And our next guest is a man who needs no introduction in the fantasy football world. He is the host of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour podcast. He's a guy that's gotten the better of us a few times in the fantasy football world, and he's as knowledgeable as it gets about the sport and the industry. And now he joins us to talk about how you can become the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Champion by going to KFFSC.com with live drafts all throughout August, including at Caesars Southern Indiana two weeks from now. He's our friend Eric Balkman. Eric, how are you doing today, my friend? Doing great.
0: Uh, we have we're in the thick of preseason right now, so football's back, and obviously drafting is is huge right now, Brad, as as you know, and uh, it's just a that's a great time to be a fantasy football fan.
2: It is, it is, and what we're going through right now is a lot of these preseason games. Now, there's a different way a lot of people look at these preseason games. How do you, as an expert? I mean does it does anything that happened yesterday does it change your list or anything at all based on especially a lot of these quarterback battles Yeah I
0: think um it's weird because last year we didn't have preseason right. and and I think historically I always looked at it from the standpoint of well you kind of want to see how these teams are players and and what roles they're in you know especially running backs and and backfields you know who's getting the start who's getting the touches who's running with the ones who's running with the backups and I think we're seeing this year and it it sort of started with the Cam Akers injury where Sean McVay said that he would not play uh Daryl Henderson at all in the preseason and then he expanded that into Matthew Stafford then he expanded that into the, the Rams starters and now we're seeing a lot of teams you know, fit players throughout the preseason. Um, and, and I think that's sometimes, um, uh, you know, a, a good measuring stick of how these teams value these players. So when you hear a coach saying, well, we're not going to play this guy in the preseason at all, even though it's only three games, I, I think you got to understand like, okay, this player is, is, going to be huge. Uh, or is they expect that player to get huge volume for that team this year. So I think that's how you look at it. And then, um, during the actual games themselves, I think you just look at, you know, who, who looks best. You know, who looks, who is standing out, who looks like, you know, they should not be on the same field with some of these second and third stringers because those are the players that are, that are going to show out. Now, nobody's really, you know, totally impressed me so far. I know Quez Watkins um, on uh, Thursday night for the Eagles. Uh, he's moved up draft boards a little bit, especially considering, you know, we're hearing from the Philly beat writers that, that, that Watkins has been, running with the starters a lot in Philadelphia. So this is a guy who wasn't even being drafted in the KFFFC, and now you look at him being you know, a potential 15th round, 12th round. I think I saw him go in the 11th round uh, of an FFPC draft the other night. Um, That's a guy that I think you would look at as well. So anytime somebody makes a big play like that, you can expect them uh, moving up draft boards. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson is another example, too. You know, a 90-some-yard touchdown run. Um, and even though he's a new england running back i think people will look at drafting him a few rounds higher than he was going to go before. ESPN
2: Radio 1300 92.5 Bottom Line with Brad Taylor and Eric Balkman of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour podcast. I always love to talk strategy in these events. It's one thing to, you know, to talk about the players and who should go here and there, but the strategy is something that i love talking about and getting into. As far as the first round this year, where is kind of your most preferred place? Because we're seeing Christian McCaffrey obviously going first in all these drafts. He only played three games this year. Should he be picked first? And where would you rather draft? I mean, I don't want you to give away the farm here. But if you were picking a place to draft in the first round especially, where would you like to place yourself in terms of draft position?
0: Well, for me, you know, with the kffs you have the third round reversal. And you're, you're, you're essentially having to buy your own um, draft slot. So you can go as expensive as you want um, with your free agent bidding money um, if you want to get that first uh, overall pick, which I don't think I've been able to spare in any KFFSC drafts yet this year, um, which I think would, you know, McCaffrey is essentially like two running backs when you're getting him. Um, it, it, when he's healthy, he's, he's on fire. So it would make some sense. I've, I've drafted early in, in the first round, and I don't mind it. Um, I like getting Alvin Kamara early. Uh, that he's been one of my favorite players again this year. Um, Dalvin Cook, I, I think, makes a lot of sense at the back end, or beg pardon, at the front end of the first round. It seems like a lot of players like going to, to those 10, 11, 12 spots uh, because then you know you'll get the first uh, picks of the third round uh, as well. So I think those spots historically go a little bit more expensive than than what I'm uh, you know used to spending. I don't mind the middle, Brad. Uh, it's, it's, it's not bad to, to be in there. I mean, you can get a guy like Derrick Henry, Devontae Adams. If you wanted to go with Travis Kelsey, you could do that as well. And, and then, you know, you're, you're not really necessarily penalized by the third-round reversal because you're going to be basically in the same spot. So I'll draft from wherever. Um, I, I think the, the, um, the back end is enticing. Um, but I don't know if I always want to spend that much free agent bidding dollars on that draft slot the draft there. So I'll just kind of go wherever and formulate my team from there. ESPN Radio,
2: 1300 92.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor and Eric Balkman of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour podcast. Yeah, I'm always a guy that likes to go towards the end of the round. You know, the first round and kind of get the, the, the kickback, the early second round pick, the early third round pick. But we look at these first round picks, and I'm looking at a couple of drafts they've had this week at the KFFSC. And the first five are kind of in order. McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Uh, Kamara, and then Diggs and Adams, the receivers. But then after that, it's kind of a mixed bag. That's when people start to juggle the lineups a little bit. Is there someone going in the first round of these drafts that you think should not be going in the first round?
0: Well, he's probably out of the first round now recently. Um, But Saquon Barkley is a guy I just, you know, I I cannot get on board with. Uh, There's just so many unknowns with him. And I know he's off the, the preseason pup list and he can practice, but even if that is the case, the Giants have already said that they're going to take the long view with, with Barkley um, and that he may not get his normal workload in September. Um, and, and that's fine, I guess, for the course of the season, but why invest in a guy in, in Barkley who you know is probably not, is going to be a shell of himself for at least for the first three or four games um, when you can grab somebody who is completely healthy, who is going to be a player who's getting high volume. So I'm, I'm not a huge Barkley guy there. Um, and remember, in the KFFSC, too, um, you have to start three receivers. And I know receiver is a deep position this year, but it always seems like everybody's always in a race to, to, to grab three of them right away, you know, that they can count on throughout the entire season. And, and I think that um, once you get those first, you know, bell cow running backs off the board, and you mentioned Diggs and Adams, too. I think that makes sense. You can throw Tyreek Hill in there uh, yeah. as well. Then you can kind of go on a, it splinters in a lot of different directions, you know, whether you're a Joe Mixon guy or a Jonathan Taylor guy, you know, or you know, however you want to get on board with these other running backs. There, it splinters off, um, and, and each draft ends up being unique. And it really rewards the players that that can um, scoop up value and and be flexible in the draft. Uh, they're the ones that are going to get rewarded with with these really really dominant teams that have a chance to win the main event for KFFSE.
2: ESPN Radio, 1,392.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor and Eric Balkman of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour podcast. You bring up a good uh, kind of strategy point, but the thing about the KFFSC, and it's different than a lot of the drafts that uh, you go to out in the desert that uh, we always enjoy playing in, the tight end position. And we see these, I've seen Travis Kelsey probably the most uh, varied in terms of where he'll go he could go mid-first round, he could go late-first, he could go mid-second. I've seen all kinds of stuff on him. Your thoughts on a guy like Travis Kelsey. Is the first round maybe a little too early for a guy like him?
0: I don't think so.
2: Um, and this is
0: even with, you know, you know, non-tight end premium leagues like the KFF. I think that he gives you such an advantage at tight end week in and week out, no matter who you're playing. Um, you know, Darren Waller is... is not usually not too far behind uh, from him on uh, draft boards, but after that, I mean, what do you have at tight end? You have George Kittle, who's who's missed a lot of time, um, who's usually the number three tight end off the board. Then you have Kyle Pitts, who's a rookie, and you don't know what to expect from him. Um, he should be really really good, but we you know we don't know that. Uh, and then T.J. Hawkinson is usually number five, and that's a guy who uh, you know again is is a pedigree draft pick, but. At the same time, how good is that offense going to be? And you know, he should get a lot of targets, but I don't know necessarily know if he gives you uh, a really big advantage at tight end. So the advantage at tight end that you can have over your opponents is taking Travis Kelsey. And if you want to use a first round pick on him, you are you know essentially going to have the advantage of that position every single week of the year. So I don't I don't know if it's something I would do, Brad, because I I do put a premium on trying to get a stud running back early, trying to get a, a you know a top-tier receiver early. Um, I'm usually passing on Kelsey there, but I don't think the first round, especially the back end of the first round, I don't think that's too early to take Travis Kelsey.
2: Yeah, and I have a lot of memories of uh, Rob Ronkowski and Jimmy Graham both going that early. You know, eight, ten years ago, they would get drafted that early because, hey – they're value-wise, they're that much ahead of all the rest of the tight ends. And a lot of people got burned on that. I'm sure I got burned a few times doing that, too. So it kind of makes you wary to take a guy like Kelsey, although if he's not injured, I mean, that's straight money. It's just a lot to take him early in a draft like that, especially when you have got burned on it before. I know you're in Wisconsin. I know you're a big Packers guy. At least you have information on the Packers. Aaron Jones, (laughs) is he going too high this year, in your opinion?
0: No. um, This is a player, too, that I think, it was so weird watching his value uh, throughout the off season because I think when the Packers season ended, myself included, thought that he would be going elsewhere, you know, that he would be a Miami Dolphin or, or signed by, you know, like the New York Jets or somebody like that who beat a running back. And I figured he'd be out of Green Bay, and I think a lot of players, uh, you know, drafters did too. You saw him going second, sometimes early third round uh, because he would not have the luxury of that offensive line and Aaron Rodgers. And then he signed. And then his value went back up again, right, Brad? I mean, it was like a, a late first-round pick, early second-round pick. And then we heard all this Aaron Rodgers stuff about how he might not be playing for the team again. And then his Aaron Jones draft stock slipped again into the mid-second, uh, you know, late-second round. And now that we know that Rodgers is back uh, and Aaron Jones is once again kind of cemented at that 1-2 turn, or at least an early second-round pick, I think that's fine. Um, AJ Dillon, I know is going to have an impact on on Aaron Jones' numbers this year. Uh, it, he's just never going to be, you know, a three hundred and fifty touchback. He just he won't be that. Uh, the Packers are going to prevent him from from getting that kind of volume. But remember, Jamal Williams prevented him from getting that the last couple of years as well. And Aaron Jones was still an awesome running back. So you want to take him at the end of the first, at the end of the second. I have no qualms about saying that that's that's a wrong pick there because I think. He's going to have another great season behind a great Green Bay offensive line.
2: ESPN Radio, 1,392.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor and Eric Balkman from the high-stakes fantasy football hour. Okay, I'm contractually obligated to ask, who's your pl- big player going early that you want to avoid, and who's your sleeper that's not going early enough?
0: Well, uh, I, I'll cement my, my thoughts on Barkley. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to take him, and it's really rare for me to say, oh, oh I, I do not want this player at all this year in, in the early rounds. Um, I, I usually don't say that about anybody because I like everybody at a certain value. But Barkley is a guy; just I don't want to mess around with. Um, you know, give me a healthy guy. I don't know his B injury was so bad last year um, that that I'm concerned about uh, not only how he starts off this season but how he makes it through a 17-game season as well. So I'm staying away from Barkley. As far as sleepers go, I mean, there's a few of them out there. I think we saw some flashes of Philip Lindsay last night. I mean, you could get a starting running back like him in the double-digit rounds. He's interesting. Elijah Moore, the rookie receiver from the Jets, he continues to climb up uh, to climb up uh, draft boards. Quez Watkins, I, I mentioned, too. We saw uh, you know, sort of a hidden gem. In the preseason, uh, he had the big play uh, against uh, Pittsburgh uh, this week, and, and he's a guy that is going super late that you can grab. Um, if you wait on tight end um, and uh, you need a backup late, I think C.J. Uzuma makes a lot of sense. This is a guy that um, the, the Bengals offensive coordinators already said could have a 50-catch season. If you can get a 50-catch tight end in the 20th round of your drafts, you're going to take care of that every single time by grabbing him. So, P Ryan. Uh, think about him, the backup uh, running back for the Bengals. Um, if Joe Mixon does indeed miss time again, P. Ryan's probably going to be the guy, and he's like a 14th-round pick uh, at this point. So I think he could grab him and maybe only play him two or three weeks out of the year, but that's good enough for a 14th-round pick. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, I'll, I'll leave you with him. Chase Claypool, uh, Deontay Johnson, and Juju Smith-Schuster, all essentially sixth-round, fifth-round picks. Yet yeah, Ben Roethlisberger is, is like the 29th quarterback off the board. I don't think everybody is wrong about all those Steelers receivers. I think people are wrong about Roethlisberger, and I would grab him late as well, Brad.
2: He's Eric Balkman. He is the host of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour podcast. Eric, tell the folks uh, where we can find you on social media and about your podcast.
0: I'm at Eric Bauchman. The uh, My podcast is at Hour. I also host the uh, Rotovis High Stakes Lowdown as well. We'll get that uh crank back up um once the nfl season starts and uh elliott who you know who the listeners know on these airwaves the co-host of the high stakes fantasy football hour as well he joins me each and every friday um it's basically wherever you can find podcasts and uh, kffsc.com is where you can register and play against me there uh can't wait to do it again this year brad
2: He's as sharp as it gets. Take it easy on us this year, will you, Eric? I, You know, just let the rest of us get cash a ticket here and there. We Can you do that for us at least? I,
0: I will do my best. Uh-huh. I don't think yeah, sure you will. Problem. He's
2: Eric Balkman. <laughs> Eric, thanks so much for joining us, buddy. Thanks, Brad. Have a good rest of your day. You too, bud. Eric Balkman, High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour podcast. Make sure to check him out online and make sure to sign up at kffsc.com. Coming up after the break, we will talk with our good friend and – uh, the master of high school football coming up starting this week. He is the great Angelo Carriero. We will hear from him coming up next right here on ESPN Radio 1300 and 92.5. Dr. Feelgood in the house. ESPN Radio 1300 92.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor along with our good friend and a man you'll hear at the top of the hour and the voice of high school football here in central Kentucky. A man who's going to take you on a ride for the next few months until we crown some state champions. He is Angelo Carriero in the house.
1: And I was going to say, my name, is not, my name is my name is is not Emmanuel, but it was, oh, Emmanuel here. I get what you're saying now. Okay, now we're all riding on the, on, on the same horse. Did um,
2: I, make a, I apologize for that. Go ahead.
1: So I have to appreciate or say to you that I appreciate everything that you do with your fantasy football stuff because, Brad, I'm one of those guys that uh, I make the playoffs every year in my fantasy football leagues, but I never win the big one. So, all of the help that you've had coming on there the most successful time and this is a very important uh, word to your audience from a guy that doesn't win a lot okay it's a, this is what you got to uh, this is what you got to avoid one year I drafted all players that I didn't like but I knew would be good because in fantasy football I like to choose players I like so I chose a whole host of players um, that I was not a fan of but I knew were good and um, I had my most successful fantasy season ever so put your emotions out at the door as soon as you go into your fantasy draft and draft just by the words that that Brad and his cohorts have given you the last couple months because that's the only way you're going to win.
2: I am trying not to shed a tear here, ladies and gentlemen. He has learned a lesson. Take emotion out of your decision-making process. He is the great Angelo Carrero. He will be on at the top of the hour, and he will have all kinds of news about high school football coming up this season. We thank you so much for listening. Make sure to listen to him. He's got great stuff coming up. Uh, follow us on Twitter at BottomLineLex, which Angelo does it. He will soon, I hope. And uh, make sure to email the show anytime, BottomLineLex at gmail.com. Until the next time, as always, may the winners be yours.